Sunday night, I went to Walkway, which is an Asian food place right by my house. I don't know. It reminds me of Chen Wok. Yeah. Uh, it's like this cheap Chinese food that you kind of question what it is, but that's what makes it the best Chinese food place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been going there uh, probably like the past couple months, like on a weekend. I'll pick it up like on my way home from church for me and Mercedes to get. And this time I go in, it's the, or maybe it wasn't Sunday. It's whenever the World Series final game was, because I remember the World Series was on, whatever, last week. And uh, I go straight to like the, the to-go counter, and I didn't call in an order, which I normally do, so it's ready. So I had to wait a little bit. But I get out to the front, and the lady taking my order is, uh, she's Chinese, but she speaks really good English. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cooks all in the back, you can see them, like right from where you order, and then even where you sit down and wait for your food, you can see the kitchen and everybody cooking back there. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one in the restaurant. So I know whatever receipt uh, goes back to them is mine, so they're only cooking for me. There's mm-hmm. no one else they could be cooking for, unless there's a to-go order coming in, but yeah, whatever. I didn't hear the phone ring or nothing. So I order my food, and I say, man, I want to get uh, the chicken and vegetable stir-fry with rice for my wife. And then for me, I'm going to do the orange chicken, extra crispy, no spice, because mm-hmm. it's really spicy from here. And I said, I want no spice at all. So <clears throat> she types it all in, and I pay, and then I go and I sit down, and I see the receipt come up over on the thing in the kitchen mm-hmm. and all of the Chinese cooks back there there's like four of them there's like some older guys there's a couple younger guys the receipt comes through and they all look at it to make the food and they all start laughing and then they look at me <laughs> and they start talking in Chinese <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine's in the nail shop and they're all talking about her when she's getting her nails done. yeah but I remember looking at them thinking are they laughing at me because I'm um, uh, white or because I said no spice in my orange chicken and they're probably like man it's not even spicy but this guy can't handle it so in my head I was just thinking these people are making fun of me over here maybe they try to guess white people's orders when they come in and, and <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe they're like mm, he's either going to do the uh, stir fry or the orange chicken and it came through and it was both I hope that's the case and they weren't just laughing at me for my <laughs> no spice tolerance but now I I will continue to go back there but in my head the whole time I was waiting on my order, I just kept thinking, like, what are they laughing at over there about me? <laughs> and, of course, they're speaking Chinese, so I can't understand anything they're saying. But I don't, that story has no point. I just wanted to share it. Welcome back to the Two Justins Podcast, a show where Justin and Justin answer your questions and talk about Seinfeld every week. Yeah. All right. That was pretty good. Uh, we're getting okay not, at the intro. Not as good as last week's. Last week was pretty good. Well, to kick off here, we just want to remind you that during the month of November, this is Thanks Festivigus. You may have seen it <laughs> in the uh, previous episode, um, but what that means for you, you have a chance to both win an awesome prize and have a chance to participate in an, a special end-of-the-year episode. So in order to do that... Uh, all you have to do is is a couple things. You gotta go on iTunes. You gotta rate and write a review. Uh-huh. Write out a review on iTunes and uh, submit that review with a question. Uh, with a question, and uh, some of you have already submitted them without a question, and that's fine. You're still eligible to win, but you're just not going to be able to participate in the special end of the year question answering episode. Yeah, which will be really good. So if you go on and you submit that in iTunes with a, with a review, you're automatically eligible to, to win the prize. 
and uh, we'll be reaching out best that we can to try to get, you down. get the right person the prize. But then that question that you leave in the review as a part of the review. Um, so, for example, you say, Justin and Justin are awesome. I love listening to their show. <sighs> Five stars. And then at the very bottom, you say, what's your favorite hat? Ooh, that's a good yeah. question. So the, I like that question. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. That's a good. Yeah. Feel free to use that question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, then you would be eligible to win the prize, and then at the end of the year, we're going to use that question, what's your favorite hat? And we're going to answer every question that we get in one episode. So if it's a 1,000 questions, we're going to answer a 1,000 questions in an episode. If it's... Eight. Eight, which is one more than what we have now. You could be the lucky number eight right now. Yeah. Just go on and fill it out, and it will be an eight-question episode. Yeah, and our goal is 30. We need 30. That's what we want, 30 reviews. Yeah, we're already right on track. Yeah. So thank you to those that have already reviewed. Yeah, even if you forgot the question, we still thank you for your for your review. The prize too is fifty dollar gift card to Amazon. Fifty dollar Amazon gift card, and you can get whatever you want with that gift card. Yeah, like we said, a- anything you want, you could get fifty dollars worth of uh, fifty packs of staple refill cartridges. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so yeah. you know, maybe you staple a lot of things. Yeah, you, this will help you staple more <laughs> things. Well, cool. I think, too, uh, we have uh, some follow-up. You got a new jacket. Uh, yes. Are you prepared for this? I, I hope. I think I'll be prepared for it. Okay. Is it a jacket I would wear? Uh, I don't know if you'll wear it. I mean, but... I know you'll wear it, but... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm excited. Ready? Yeah. All right, close your eyes. <clears throat> All right, open your are eyes. Are you putting it on? I'm holding it first. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Is that a, okay, so it's like a jean jacket. The inside is like a Mexican blanket type of material. Yeah. And it, does it go through to the outside? Yeah, it's like pulled, it's pulled through like the okay. uh, outside of Where'd the you, jacket. Is this a Marshall's jacket? R- Ross. Did you buy that with your Hawaiian shirt the other day? I bought it on the same day, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's cool. See, it fits you. Yeah. In your style. See, I don't know how you pull off the denim jacket, though. We talked about this last time. I cannot do (laughs) denim. Man, it looks great. You don't know if you don't try, man. I know. My wife wears denim jackets, I think. Yeah, it looks good. And it's a Levi jacket. Yeah, it's a really nice jacket. Guess how much it was? $13. Oh, wow. That'd be amazing. $23. (laughs) It was like 30-something dollars. But I bet it was way more expensive before Ross. Oh, yeah. Man, that that inside. Isn't that cool? It's like the uh, candy cane jacket that Jerry has. Yeah, here, you, sh- you should take a picture of it, and we'll post it on the uh, Instagram. Cool. Ready? All right, that picture will be posted on Instagram. <laughs> if you want to see what this jacket looks like, check it out on the Insta. Yeah, it looks good. I, I can't imagine... Well, I guess it doesn't have to match anything, because it's all sorts of colors. Yeah. Yeah. What was interesting was they had uh, several different ones, but... With different patterns the inside? different patterns Pulled inside. through like that still? Yeah. Yeah, that's really... Uh, what kind of patterns were the other ones? There was like an aqua and orange one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> can't remember what the other one was. Yeah, I think that was a good choice. Mexican blanket style. Looks good. Where were you hiding that that I did not see that? Underneath my desk. <laughs> I was even looking at the jackets that you had over there, wondering if that one of those was it. But uh, those are decoy jackets. Yeah, yeah. dropped my attention. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's cool. It's a good jacket. Nice. Yeah. Also, uh, we talked last time about uh, one of our topics was wh- whether you were a dinosaur kid or a space kid. Yeah. Growing up, what did you lean towards? And your theory was 
that every kid on a broad spectrum could be <laughs> departmentalized in one of the two categories. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so we we posted a poll on Twitter. Did we do one on Instagram? I don't remember if we did. If we did, I don't remember the results. The one from Twitter, uh, I re- the results after seeing it uh, was exactly fifty percent in both. Oh yeah, I'm so, looking at it right now. fifty yeah. percent. Wow. Half and half. Half and half. What were you again? You're a space kid. Yeah. 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 So uh, as great as that poll was, my lovely wife uh, wanted to submit that there was an additional kind of kid, uh-huh. and that is the critter kid. <laughs> Yeah, I saw. So, so the critter kid would be a kid that's more interested in insects and in animals and bugs and Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> so your wife found a a toad and she just picked it up. She just picked it, it up. Showed all the kids. And you like jumped away. Oh, so I am not a fan of anything. You're like whoa. Oh. <laughs> I can't handle those kinds of things. When I was a kid, I stepped on like a trail on a mountain and there was a rattlesnake by my foot. Oh snap. When I was like seven or something. And it, it was on, my grandpa was back, my, my grandpa's house backed up to a mountain. So I, I was on the other side of the fence and I saw this rattlesnake right by my feet. Hurt, I heard it. And I looked down and saw it and I flipped over the fence and like fell in my grandpa's pool. I was traumatized. And now I can't handle any kind of like frog, snake, <laughs> I don't know, toad, whatever yeah. else would fall into that kind of category of like a reptile, even like bunnies and stuff. I, I not like a fan. <laughs> Hamsters, gerbils, I don't know, chinchillas. My friend had a chinchilla when I was younger as well. I remember it freaked you out. Yeah, and he had like a like a boa snake. Oh, he had a chinchilla and a boa. Yeah, did he had they, hamsters. Did they, they, had a, to... they had a parakeet. He had like all these animals. He had a fish tank, but he had this boa that he would. We're getting off topic, but I remember one time I went to his house and he blatantly said, "Hey man," I, he was like running around. I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I don't know. I lost. I lost my snake. I'm just trying to find him." I'm like, "I'm out. <laughs> I'm not coming inside your house." <laughs> Uh, so uh, how do you lose a snake i don't know the thing's somewhere it's, that is the worst nightmare ever <laughs> he would put it in his bathtub and just let a mouse run loose in there and it would just like because the mouse can't get out of the bathtub you know oh. it's just so sad i mean they're both critters i don't care about either one of them but for the mouse <laughs> i feel awful but anyways yeah critter kid yeah so your wife obviously was a critter kid oh yes yeah she didn't. She didn't fall in the category of like. I feel like that could be easily lumped with a dinosaur kid. I don't know. I think it's. I think it could be different. Maybe a dinosaur kid is a type of critter kid. Maybe critter kids the broader category. And then there's subcategories. Yeah, maybe. Although, although the my my compatriot that, <laughs> that uh, came up with the dinosaur kid p- part of the equation, um, Christian, who is a dinosaur kid, uh-huh. he is not a critter kid. So he's not into like picking up a frog. No, I don't. I I don't think I've ever seen him handle wild animals. Can't picture it. So so maybe they are distinct. Maybe huh. it's a third. I don't know. T- tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you're a critter kid. If you're a critter kid, if you're like, man, I listen to Space Kid and Dinosaur Kid, and that doesn't make any sense. Critter kid. But I like that to pick up you. slimy animals. <laughs> that might be you. Your kids liked the, the, yeah, Malachi, the toad. Malachi just like popped it on the head. <laughs> I, but Katie was like, Malachi, touch it. And then Malachi's like, pop. <laughs> wax it. I was like, oh. Yeah, I've always found it intriguing, too. People that have no problem uh, just just picking up a kid. Or pick, not picking up a kid. That's not a critter, even though they could be similar. It's close. <laughs> yeah. But picking up like a frog like that, it's it's like she was so comfortable just holding it. 
If mm-hmm. I was to pick up a frog like that, I'd be like, I wouldn't know how to hold my hands, where to put my <laughs> fingers. Like, all I remember, any interaction with the frog was the dead one that I dissected in biology in high school. And I just remember the way I cut its stomach open and it just kind of like popped open. Mm-hmm. That was a bad smell, those frogs. Did you ever do fetal pigs? <clears throat> we did fetal cats mm-hmm. and sheep eyes. We did like a sheep eye. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. That was it. The frog, fetal cat, and the sheep eye. We did a frog and a pig. A fetal pig? Yeah. That's a big pig. Like, was it huge? Did it take up, like, the whole table? No, like like a fetus. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I thought you meant, sorry. I thought you meant, like, a pig that was pregnant. Oh. And then you dissected it. Uh, no, that, you, yeah, you that would be huge. You can cut that out if you want. I don't know. That sounds kind of weird. <laughs> in my head, that's what I was picturing. No, I'm keeping it in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah let us know if you're a critter kid yeah and what makes you one so i used to pick up um grasshoppers when i was a kid okay we were at katie's house katie's parents house recently and they had a spider web with like i think it was a wolf spider um and so it was like this big elaborate web are those dangerous uh eh, no not not to humans Mm -hmm. no um but you'll get like a big old like one of those like big hard lumps if it bites you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the spider was like in a plant, like in the leaf, and then it had built like a bunch of web, mm-hmm. and so they wanted to watch it eat something. So they went to catch grasshoppers, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll catch a grasshopper. And I'm chasing around the grasshopper, and uh, and I get close to catching it, and it gets away, and I'm chasing it for like 45 seconds. After about 45 seconds, I'm like, I feel like I've bonded with this grasshopper. <laughs> Run free, grasshopper, run free. It thinks, it thinks you're playing with it. <laughs> I was like, I can't catch this and throw it to a spider now. Man, that's funny. So You know who I bet was a critter kid? <clears throat> the other Justin that listens to this podcast. Ooh, that's a good question. Justin O, I know you're going to listen to this. Number one fan. Yeah, basically. I guarantee he was a critter kid. Mm. I, I, not, no offense, I, not that you couldn't be a space kid or a dinosaur kid, but I think you're a critter kid. You can correct us if, you're, if we're wrong. But. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't have the the heart to throw a grasshopper to the spider. Yeah, so you're definitely not a critter kid. So I'm definitely not a critter kid. <laughs> On to Seinfeld. All right, Seinfeld season two, episode seven. The revenge. The revenge. So in this one, uh, there's like two different revenge plots. George mm-hmm. quits his job, uh, but then tries to just sneak back in and pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> in a Monday morning conference. Yeah, just just like slides into the room, <laughs> sitting there kind of covering his face. Uh, so then the, the boss kicks him out and he vows revenge on the boss. He, and he decides he's going to get that by slipping him a Mickey. Which would essentially kill him. Or it would just make him sick. I think it's like a roofie. Yeah, it's like makes him pass out or something. Makes him forget the night. Yeah, yeah. So that's one revenge plot. And then the other is Jerry thinks that he his $1,500 was stolen by the laundry guy. And so him and Kramer decide to <laughs> put cement in, in, a, washing in, in a washing machine. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just funny the way that those two mirror each other. Yeah. Um, but again, we get a glimpse of George's bathroom <laughs> the, need, uh, the need for a clean toilet it all stemmed his reason for quitting his job in the first place was because he got a memo on friday before he left for the weekend that you can no longer use the toilet the private the toilet. private toilet for like his company and they had to use the shared bathrooms down the hall with like some other company and george like just couldn't it's like take i can't it. use that that place is disgusting <laughs> 
And uh, the other thing too, so that's like why he why he got fired. The other revenge plot as well all stemmed, I think, was it from the combining of laundry for Kramer and Jerry? And Jerry was not about letting his guys get mixed in with Kramer's guys. <laughs> Uh, my guys don't know your guys. You can't put them all in the, the space together. They start a riot. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think uh, both of those instigating events are, are pretty funny. Uh, I do think it's weird, um, and and this is a new newer experience for me, but, like, I guess I remember as a kid, like, my laundry just being washed with the rest of the family's laundry, and occasionally things would just disappear. Yeah. I don't know what, what would happen to them, but, like, I'd just lose things over time. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so then I just did my own laundry, and now being married again, now we, we do La- all of our laundry together. Have you noticed things missing yet? Um, sometimes socks get separated into different loads of laundry. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I get her socks in my sock drawer. Do you separate all your laundry, like by color and shirts or whites or? I did not. Until we got married. And Katie does that? Yeah. Did you ever understand the need for it or you just didn't care? I always thought it was so that your colored clothes don't bleed into your white clothes. Yes, because in your whites, you're supposed to do hot water. Yeah. With bleach. Mm. Well, we use bleach on our white clothes to keep them white, but yeah, you can't put bleach on colored clothes or it would ruin everything. Yeah, I just would put them all to- in together. No big deal. No big deal. Okay. Never you, had any bleeding. Do you dry your shirts or do you hang them? Dry them. Okay. But then hang, hang them right out, out of the dryer. Okay. So. Interesting. Do you ever put cement in your washing machine? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought another part of the episode that I found similar to something I think, I think everybody has this type of friend that you're always trying to uh, almost like reaffirm or like not be mean and also like try to encourage them through like whatever situation or circumstance they're going through. And it always seems to be the same person. Like for, for instance, in this episode, George, after he loses his job, is trying to figure out what he's going to do next. So he starts running off these ideas of like, well, maybe I could be involved in sports. He's, and Jerry, Jerry's like, well, in what capacity? He goes, like a general manager. <laughs> As if he, he could just... he could just be a coach. And then, well, maybe it doesn't have to be a general manager. Maybe I could be a sports broadcaster. Jerry's like, yeah, but normally they give those to ex-ball players. Or broadcasters. <laughs> so just like George going through that cycle of like, man, what could I do? And he's coming up with all these bizarre, like, way, like out of the norm jobs and jerry's just yeah you could but he's not like giving him a straight answer and right. i don't know i think everybody's has... trying to steer him yeah on the right path and like i know in my head i, I can think of a uh, a friend who over the past i've known him now for 12 to 14 years mm-hmm. that's been like a reoccurring kind of every couple of years like yeah you could but maybe you should do this or you know whatever so i don't know have you experienced like that where jerry and george are George is that friend that Jerry's kind of trying to trying to help and not be stern or not be a jerk about it or just like I don't know you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say yeah I think <clears throat> I think I've experienced uh, something similar just with friends that 
like like even in in high school having having really good friends uh one in particular that has dreams and aspirations for like something very big and specific um and you're all, you're like okay well what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> you spend the entire day watching investigation discovery on on tv learning about old murders that's not helping you yeah move towards anything that um, person listening no. Say <laughs> so they might be like, hey, I watched Investigation Discovery. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> uh, no, that was a very specific... Uh, he would he would catch the reference. So, um, yeah, just, just like... like uh, yeah, yeah. You, you'd like to see people succeed uh, in what they're trying to achieve, but you can't force people to put in the effort, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that, I think that's, that's hard. Like you, you're like, well, obviously if you want to do that, you need to, like, if you, if you want to be a basketball player, you better be play some basketball, playing a lot of basketball and practicing your shots yeah. and waking up early and just going down to the court and doing shooting drills for an hour yeah. every day, at least. Yeah. And even then it's a long shot. Oh yeah. But like, yeah, if you want to be a famous author, like you need to write something like yeah. you have to can't spend just time yeah. writing. Um, you know, you can't just think that you're going to be an author one day like you have to start writing now you need to get that those reps in now so yeah yeah i think it's hard uh especially when you're younger i don't know they're probably in their 30s in seinfeld yeah yeah i'd say so so i guess some people because like jerry and elaine have obviously kind of figured it out and kramer is off doing his own thing yeah kramer doesn't really fall into this (laughs) but george is like that that one friend that like it's has, a constant. Has never really figured it out. Until later on in the seasons. He yeah. did something, but... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I just found it interesting, that, that relationship. I think I think everybody probably has that similar person in their life. Maybe you are that person in your life. In your life. But, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Well, sweet. Let's move on to our topics for today. So, I'll go, I'll go okay. first. I didn't write it in there because I didn't want you to see what it was going to be. <laughs> I want to hear your unfiltered... Response. Response. And it might it might not even be that that uh, intriguing, but just firearms in general. Oh. I know you could... That could be a controversial topic, <clears throat> but maybe it could be a main one. But I, I, I was thinking about it on my way over uh, because I had a conversation yesterday about mm-hmm. firearms with somebody and just talking through them. So, yeah. Interesting. So, um... I might make a lot of people upset on multiple sides of firearms. Ooh, my heart is like racing. (laughs) (laughs) This might Um, make our viewer viewership (laughs) plummet. Yeah. Uh, So I own I own a twenty two rifle. It's here. It's here. Uh Um, I don't own any bullets for it. I don't really intend to own any any bullets for it. You just Um, have it as a. Did someone give it to you? Yeah, like like if I wanted to go go to Shooter's World or something, I'd probably go. Just I'd buy, buy ammo, ammo there. there. Yeah. And Have then, you shot it recently? No. Okay. No, I haven't. I don't think I've ever shot that particular rifle. Okay. Um, since it was given to me, so I, <clears throat> I enjoy target practice. Uh, I don't go hardly ever. It's probably mm-hmm. been a couple of years since I go since I've went. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um to shoot at a target and try to make adjustments and try to shoot more accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, um, I'm going to try to be as apolitical as possible 
Because I, I, so like when I vote, I'm a, I'm a registered independent, and we're we're about to talk about yeah, yeah. my topic. But um, like I research each candidate individually. I don't care what the letter is by their name. Uh, and the thing that I'm most interested in is, do I think this is a trustworthy human being that mm-hmm. is going to try their best, <clears throat> or do I think that they're a pawn in a political game out or for self gain or something? Yeah, just out for gaining as much power as possible. So. In the interest of keeping this apolitical, <laughs> there are, I think there is a lot of unfounded fear around, um, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's unfounded fear on the existence of guns in the first place. I think there's unfounded fear in the idea that Obama is coming for our guns still somehow. Yeah. Um, that entire thing was just a fabricated yeah. thing. About the government taking all your guns yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And gun sales have never been better over that. In the history of gun sales, that eight-year period of Obama being in office was the high watermark of all gun sales ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just I just think it, it completely unfounded. Obviously, it didn't happen. But I do. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm <laughs> I'm towing so many lines. So the reason I have a gun is because it was given to me by my grandfather, and I like having that gift from him. Yeah. Um, a 22 doesn't have very much recoil. I don't. You know, my dad has a 30 out six hunting rifle, and you shoot that two times, and you have a bruise on your shoulder. I yeah, don't, I, yeah. That's not very fun. So I like that the 22 doesn't have very much recoil. So if I do want to take it and go do some sort of shooting practice, target practice, um, it's fun, uh, and it doesn't hurt my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I enjoyed that my grandfather gave it to me. But I don't intend on keeping any bullets in the house because most household shootings aren't like shooting somebody breaking into a house. It's like yeah. accidental gunfire. Yeah, yeah. And statistically, <clears throat> guns are way more likely to be used for accidents uh, or suicides. And so I just don't want that in my house. Yeah. I'm not afraid of... I'm more afraid of the statistically more likely chance that we have kids and a kid accidentally grabs it. fires a gun. Yeah. Um, I'm more afraid of that than the significantly less likely possibility of somebody breaking into my house. Yeah. Um, and breaking into my house and ignoring the alarm and then trying to do harm. Uh, all of those are more less likely than the previous. Yeah. Uh, if somebody's breaking into your house, they're probably trying to steal something. They're probably not breaking in with the intent to harm you. you. Yeah. Um, people are much more likely to be murdered by people that know them than just a random break in. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> all that being said, uh, I also, um, and this will feed into, to one of the books, uh, that I actually have written down uh, on my list for our main topic. Yeah. But I also, like, so, like, I don't hunt. I've watched, like, a bullfight live before. I've never been hunting, but I watched a bullfight live. And, uh, man, it's hard to watch an animal die. Yeah. So, like, I would never be a hunter. Did you watch that when you were in Europe? In Spain. Okay. Yeah, Uh, in Madrid. I think you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, by the end of it, like, my sister was, like, sobbing. And like, yeah. like there's so much blood everywhere. It's like, oh man, like this is this is. What brutal. do they do with that bowl? They use it for they eat it. meat. And yeah, stuff. I think yeah. they. I think it, it gets cooked up, but it's still like pretty gruesome. It's hard to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would not be a good hunter. I don't know if I've done. I could talk longer, but I feel like. 
It I could feel like I've done going. a decent job of being yeah. apolitical. If you wanted me to get political, I yeah. could. Yeah. Um, but I know that that will vary from a lot of my peer group's yeah. views on firearms. Yeah. And that's fine. I don't own a firearm at all. I don't, I don't have anything <clears throat> in my house. I grew up with them in, my, in our home. Yeah. Like my dad had, he had a 22. Uh, I think he had 30 out six as well that mm-hmm. were underneath the bed. Um, and I think he had a shotgun, mm. uh, as a home defense, uh, gun, not, he wouldn't like go out and hunt with that. Yeah. Well, maybe he did. Cause I remember him like bringing home dove and stuff. Like he'd hunt dove, which he'd use a shotgun for. So, so I grew up with those in the house, but I never shot a gun until like two years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. My grandfather was a Marine. So he had a couple rifles in his home and then he had like four or five pistols like spread out in his house. Like one on top of the fridge, one in his dresser in his bedroom, one in the guest room, one in the living room. Like he had them mm-hmm. everywhere. Currently, they're all on top of his fridge. Like you walk by, there's just like pistols up there. <laughs> so like growing up. Has like, he ever needed the hidden I pistols before? No, probably. I don't think so. I don't think anybody's ever broken into his house yeah. or anything. So I grew up knowing those were there yeah uh, of course i never had the inclination to like hey i'm gonna go grab that and see what it does you know i know yeah. that's the the statistic is that's way more common than someone breaking into your house you know and you having to use a firearm to, to shoot them but uh so my dad had them too and then my dad when we got older he like got rid of all of his guns but the 22 and i don't know where it is i think it's at my mom's or something like in the garage yeah. i have no idea where it is but two years ago uh ash farley you remember ash mm-hmm. he uh was into guns and oh yeah he had a lot he of had guns. a lot of them he had he had a gun he made himself you know he had he was really into it at the same time he was extremely extremely knowledgeable and careful and mm-hmm. took classes and um, did his due diligence of hey i'm gonna own something that could be capital punishment by you can kill somebody with it if i'm gonna mm-hmm. own it i'm gonna take the due diligence and i'm gonna learn everything i need to know about it and, yeah you know he was very very disciplined with them but when i had met him a few years back uh, that's when i started going shooting with him and we went out a, a dozen times or so, like a handful of times to go and shoot his guns and even in watching him handle them like on a range mm-hmm. i was always very like impressed and surprised by like i don't know like i, I feel like i have friends who own guns and they're just very nonchalant about it like yeah it's like oh i got this yeah i got this nine millimeter and i'm just gonna take it out and they go out in the middle of the desert and shoot which is cool like mm-hmm. i went out with ash in the middle of the desert too and shot his guns yeah but at the same time we were in the middle of the desert and he he, tr- he treated it like it was a range you know like yep. um so it's funny because I'm, I'm the same as you where – so I'm currently looking into buying a gun mm-hmm. um, where I, I'm more fr- – I am afraid of like my kids getting a hold of it or someone getting a hold of it and accidentally firing it in my home. But I think since having kids, I've become more um, – another word not careful more uh concerned yeah like maybe just more concerned about their safety mm-hmm. in our house yeah i don't know like for my wife too yeah like if i'm not home and the gun's at home and someone broke in like i wouldn't want my wife to have to defend like i just start thinking through all these scenarios and i know it's the statistics are way more likely on the opposite end mm-hmm. but there's still the statistic of that happening and i think that concerns me yeah i don't know why i think since having kids that's like my initial thought is like man if someone broke into my house intending to harm me i i would kill him mm-hmm. you don't i think i would i don't know what i would do actually because i've never been in that situation mm-hmm. but in my mind if my kids are in danger um i'm not gonna sit there and i don't want to be in the position where if i can't defend my family we're all gonna die or something mm-hmm. you know so that's like a concern i have um 
But at the same time, I have the other concern of like one of them getting a hold of it if I'm not careful or if I make yeah. one mistake and leave it on the counter or I make one mistake and don't put it where it's supposed to go or... Or you think you've got all of the bullets out of it, but there's and you one. Don't. Yeah, yeah, like there's so many scenarios that are scary. Um, you have to be, you have to be perfect with it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure people listening to this that I know have guns um, that I know personally, and you do too, that are super careful and mm-hmm. they're diligent and they're dis- disciplined in how to handle it. Yeah. Like if I had a gun, that's what my hope is. And yeah. actually it can be a hope. Like if I'm going to buy one, um, I have to, like you have to be yeah. nonchalant or you can't be just nonchalant, carefree about it. One of the people that I admire the way that they approach gun safety, um, and I've thought about this for years, is Destin from the YouTube channel oh, yeah. Smarter Every Day. Yeah, and they use it like almost like every episode <laughs> he's using a gun for something. Yeah. yeah, and every single time they like clear out the area, they call out that they're like chambering the round that they're ready to fire they fire they double check that the gun is clear and they, they call yell out, out yeah that the gun is clear in the most recent one did you watch the most yep. recent one yeah yep so i yeah I, I i really admire like just uber like diligence yeah in gun safety yeah. i think too with that like destin um and i think and i'm just gonna justin osowski again uh, mm-hmm. he's he's someone else i admire about with guns uh, because yeah. he has them he was a sheriff like he knows how to use them totally um and i I don't know if we were talking about it or he mentioned it in a conversation or something, but like Destin, I think does the same thing. Like if you have guns, being able to to teach your kids, like, hey, this is what it's used for, mm-hmm. uh, and explaining to them, man, this can kill somebody. Right. Like getting them, like being open and honest with them, like, hey, this is a firearm we have, and this is what it can do if you are not careful or not diligent, right. you know, whatever it is. And I don't know, there's Just so the many devastating <clears throat> consequences. Oh, yeah. So many variables and. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm planning on buying one. Um, yeah. So maybe that's follow up later on in a few episodes. But yeah. Um. And I don't know what that looks like. Like where I'm gonna keep it. I'm in the in the budget I have for it. I have built in like a safe to buy a safe. Mm-hmm. Um. So I just think there it might be more expensive on the front end to do some of those things, but that's being responsible with it. I sure. Think. Totally. Um. <clears throat> but then again, I don't think everybody should have a gun either. I think it goes back to what we just talked about. But yeah. 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 I. I think I land very in the middle of the road mm-hmm. with most things in life, <laughs> but but when it comes to guns, like like yeah, like like the safest application, yeah, <laughs> uh, is not to have it. It, it, Well, like no, no, like like I, like I just want the safest. Oh yeah, like yeah, like I know too many too many people that I went to high school with that are like like guns is the sole basis of their identity. Yeah, All they care about is guns in the world yeah. and whether or not people think they're cool for owning guns yeah and i think that that is something that terrifies me because almost like there there's there are pictures on facebook like shooting guns like up in the air like yeah, man that's so you're like like, like you're you gonna that... you're gonna accidentally hurt someone man like well you know you... that bullet comes back yeah. like that thing doesn't just like, go what away are you doing yeah um so yeah yeah i don't know i just and, and I find that, that those are the people that are most confrontational about guns. Yeah. Uh, like, if, if you think anything other than <clears throat> than shoot guns outside of your big truck while you're flying the flying a flag yeah. in the back of your, the bed of your pickup, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that if you think anything other than that is cool, then you're <clears throat> not cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, like, I just, I think that's the more bothersome thing for me. 
is the is, irresponsibility of other people with them. Yeah, is is just uh, in like the attitude towards guns that I see a lot of people that are really into guns having. Mm-hmm. Like I'm totally cool with somebody like a Destin who takes every precaution every time and yeah. treats it every single time. Like, Hey, this is something that can kill somebody. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. That's why I said, I admire his approach to gun safety. Uh, and he's a good old boy, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably grew up when he was like five or six shooting guns. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, and, but like his, he just takes it very seriously upon himself. Mm-hmm. And, and I just know multiple friends of mine from high school that do not take it nearly as seriously. Yeah. And it's like, that's how somebody gets hurt accidentally. We're not even talking about like other events, like people wanting to use guns to harm people. We're just talking about accidents. Like yeah. if, if you're not taking taking it seriously, like maybe you should rethink the way that you approach guns. Because yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it is, it is, a, it is a, a dangerous weapon, you know. So, yeah, uh, guns. <laughs> yeah. So. And we don't know everything. We don't know it all. We just yeah, yeah. don't get angry. We're just, it's a topic. And and I don't expect everybody to. Agree with you. Agree with me. Yeah. But that's uh, why this show's here. We can talk about things. And I don't agree with everybody too. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. No, we don't. that's just, and I think, uh, I think that's, not to get off on a different tangent, but I think, <laughs> I think that's part of what's wrong with our political discourse is is we have a very hard time in this country being okay with other people holding different opinions. Yeah. As uh, as our former boss would say, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like so that's good. That's a good quote. Yeah, it's not right great. or wrong. It's just different. Yeah. So I think I think we need a little bit more nuance in our political discourse. Yeah. I think i think there's value in a plethora of ideas uh yeah. it's like the the wisdom of the crowds approaches have you ever seen that where somebody they do like um like a jar of jelly beans for example mm-hmm. and the more people you have guessing about the number of the jars of jelly beans and you take the average out of all of the people that have guessed the closer you get to the actual number of jelly beans okay so you get some people to guess like 12 and it, there's obviously more than 12 and then some people are like 4 million yeah. but over time the more and more people that you have putting input into the system the closer you get to the actual number yeah so yeah i think uh, political discourse is a bit of a wisdom of the crowds things yeah. like we all have our own opinions and when all of that input gets put together we get a little closer to a more not correct answer but just more a homogenous yeah. answer yeah. Yeah. yeah all right on to my topic so i didn't realize this was going to be such a political episode before yeah, I, mean, I i saw yours i should have thought about that before <laughs> i picked firearms so mine is voting woes is the way i titled it yeah what is a so, woe tell us what a, a woe is <laughs> like a sorrow like a like, like a what you don't pain. like about voting yeah. yes yes yeah, I, exactly so not about what's on the ballot today uh not about what you should vote for but um the woes that go into voting one the difficulty of voting yeah um and uh the unclear nature of voting but then then two also the uh the inability to really vote from a position of knowledge that is my biggest 
Whoa. Pet peeve, my biggest whoa. Yeah. The inability to know what you need to know to vote accurately. Yes. Like you can't do enough research to figure yeah. out who you want to vote for. Yeah. So on one hand, we have uh, things in this country and in different cities and counties uh, and states, it varies wildly. Some states you can walk up day of, register, and vote. Mm-hmm. Really easy. They make it really easy for people to vote. That's yeah. awesome. Other states, you have to like register a month beforehand. Yeah. If you're not registered beforehand, then you can't vote. Yeah. And it's like, why Why this big barrier? That makes it really hard. So yeah. there's that whole aspect of making it really difficult for people to vote. And I think there's a lot, of, a lot of people that would think that there's certain political parties wanting to keep people from voting so they yeah. make the barrier the very di- high to jump over yeah yeah so so that is just kind of jacked up but two the thing that i think is even more jacked up and even more uh of a problem is how can you there's so much of the ballot it is almost impossible to to vote on yeah so like um the easy ones are your governor, your mayor, your senator, your representative, your state senator, state representative. Yeah, because you can look up what they what they stand for, maybe what their you, beliefs are. You can are, read their, transcripts yeah. of, of debates. You can watch negative political ads. You can watch positive political ads. You can do whatever you want. You can get some idea of what these candidates are about. What's more difficult is when you get to school boards and judges and all of this stuff that literally the internet doesn't even try to touch yeah and it's so like, like how do you make sense of that and how do you pick without just saying oh i don't really care so i'm just gonna scribble in some exactly yeah uh and so we like on this last uh this ballot did you get a mail-in a ma- yeah i yeah. always mail in because i need to spend hours researching <laughs> online yeah i did a mail-in too <sighs> it's garbage yeah. so so you get like 50 judges that you have to go through one by one, retain or don't retain, retain or don't yeah. retain. And it's, it's like, like, what makes a good judge? Who's the justifier of like... Yeah. How, yeah. like, how am I even supposed to make this judgment? Yeah. How am I qualified? <laughs> I don't know enough about any of it. And that. then I start questioning why are judges like elected? Yeah. What, what are like, it's I not guess the they're... Pre- it's not the president. The judge is appointed, but then we get to decide whether or not we remove them from their... <laughs> Like what, but why? Like you never decide on their appointment when they get appointed. Yeah. Right? No. You just decide if they get to stay after their first term or not. I guess. I don't know. I don't even know how it works. Yeah, I have no idea. It's, it's so, it's so opaque. Like it's, you can't see through the, the process that, that puts this all together. Yeah. And it just boils down to you just randomly saying yes or no to people's <laughs> jobs. <laughs> like, yeah, it's all falling on <laughs> luck for those people on who, who yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, that's a little sketchy. And, and is, how do they determine whether or not they keep their jobs? Do they measure the yeses versus the noes? Or do you need to get a certain number of yeses or a certain number of noes? Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be a yes versus a no. I feel like it would be more of a like a, a majority like hey if you reach this level of majority people say yeah we'll keep them then you get to keep your job 
That's what, I feel like that'd be more logical than just yes or no. Maybe at the end of the day, I bet you everybody's in the same boat. <laughs> similar, similar, similarly, similarly, similarly. I don't know. Similarly. Is that how you say it? Similarly, similarly. I think so. What are you trying to say? Like everybody's similar to this. I think. Yeah. The same thought process. Yeah. Like I don't know anybody. Maybe my dad. He's asked me like ten times if I got his ballot in the mail because he's so eager to vote because <laughs> he gets it sent to my house. But. Uh, I feel like maybe he's the only other person that I would think of that probably actually researches every single person. Yeah. I don't know anybody else that does that. Besides me? Yeah, maybe besides you. You research everyone. Uh, so I stopped halfway through the judges because I was like, like you can't, it's hard to, I found. Do they have that many things that are different? I mean, ultimately your job is as a judge, like you, what you do for a living, it should be the same across the board. So I found a judicial, like a judicial review website where other judges and attorneys and district attorneys and defense attorneys, they all rate judges, um, I guess, after a trial. Um, and so you get a picture from that kind of how they did their job how good at their job they are so is there like a score sheet i guess yeah so if there's a score sheet and it's the same for everybody why are we voting on why it? are you voting on that why don't they just eliminate like that's, the that's bottom 10 I mean. like, percent like obviously the president of the united states there's different totally different views they're gonna run the country maybe well a lot differently maybe like if you look at trump and obama entirely mm-hmm. different people Obviously, you vote because you might not like one or the other. But when it comes yeah. to a judge, if you're being graded and critiqued on a, a certain set of skills and qualities that you bring, why do you get to vote on that if you're all being judged on the same criteria? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Like in, as a judge, they probably want the same outcome from every judge in their job, how they perform. Like as a judge, you don't just get to do whatever you want because of your views. You can't let your views alter the way you do your job. I think that's a very idealistic way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think if we look at uh, the political nature of judges nowadays, I, I wouldn't say that that is necessarily always the case. Uh, but but I think ideally, yes, they're making judgments based off of uh, the liberties in the Constitution and previous case law, um, which has already been decided, how previous cases have have been decided, and making a judgment based off of those two things and the evidence presented. So I think... Yeah, I, I think ideally their political persuasion wouldn't factor into that. But unfortunately, I think that that is not the case. Yeah. So in a perfect world, maybe. Yeah. In a perfect world, our judges would be locked in a little room and they wouldn't see the outside world. And then they'd come out and they'd make it. They'd pass judgment and then they'd go back into their little rooms. I feel like I just read through judges in the Bible. Yeah. They didn't vote on those judges. No, they were, they were appointed. appointed by God. God. Yeah. Uh, uh, no one got to vote. Maybe we'll keep this guy. Yeah. They didn't always do a good job, though. <laughs> that's true. That's why there's a lot of them. <laughs> you had to keep trial and error. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I don't know. 
So yeah, I just feel like there's no way to be fully educated on your ballot. Okay. Even with all of the propositions, uh, those become a little bit clearer. I I feel like for me, they've become a little bit clearer the more you research them. But um, but even then, like oftentimes people are forced to vote uh, between the ideals that they hold and then their self interest in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's tough. Uh, I think that's tough. So I don't know. It just, it's yeah. all a big mess. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen um, the many CGP Grey videos on voting? I don't know. I don't think so. They're pretty good. So so we have what's called the first past the post voting system. Uh-huh. Um, so basically the post is, is like the arbitrary. So for yeah, the president yeah. example, like the post is, you know, uh, the number of electoral votes needed to where the other person can't possibly win. That's the post. Yeah. So the first person to get past the post wins. Wins. Um, And that's basically how every aspect of our elections work. And uh, we're actually one of few countries that still uses that voting system. Um, Australia, for for example, uses preferential ballots. And so basically, you could vote for everybody on the ballot. So you get a ballot, and it would say, you know, mayor of Phoenix, and it would have uh, all four candidates listed. And instead of just selecting one, you would rank the candidates in order Ah. of your preference. And so you can vote for your favorite candidate, even if he's definitely not going to win, you know, and then say, what, well, I kind of like this guy's second. So I'll put exactly. Okay, that's- and then so so basically they count all of the votes and then they eliminate the person with the least amount of votes. And then they take that person with the least amount of votes and redistribute the votes based on the next preference. Ah, so like whoever got the most that was in third, it yep. would go into that spot. Exactly. Right? Or no. So, so, so like each individual ballot after that first person is eliminated, they would take the second preference on that ballot and give it to whoever else, whoever else that person preferred. Ah. So I think that's a fantastic way, a much better way of voting because what we end up now is we end up with a lot of people that one can't do the research in the first place. Right. Uh, two are sometimes, uh, having to jump over a bunch of artificial barriers and then three have to then end up punting their vote they end up voting not who they want to win but they vote for who they think will can win that will keep the person they don't want to win yeah out of office so instead of voting for who you want to be president for example you vote for the person that you think has the best chance of keeping the other party's person yeah. out of the office so you might not really like them or agree with them exactly. or support them but you it's just... the lesser of two evils yeah. instead of who you actually want to vote yeah. for so we end up with a very skewed where i think the vast majority of americans actually fall in the more like center right to center left section we end up voting for candidates Streams. that are extreme right extreme left I see it, yeah um because they can get that whole base and then yeah, you all could, of the center has to be divided you up. could easily see that in our last presidential election. yes you could like uh yeah we don't need to talk about it but i feel like that would be an easy one to say like well, I definitely don't want this person. I don't agree with this person, but I have to vote for this other person because I don't want. Or you could have joined me in voting for Gary Johnson. <laughs> yeah, you follow your... Uh, yeah, you don't care about the, the right and left or whatever. Yeah, so punting my vote. <laughs> uh, 
but I think it would give a, a more accurate picture of the actual political landscape if people could confidently vote for who they want to win and then uh, distribute in order their next preference. Yeah. Because then that first round of voting would end and you'd see, oh, wow, like it's a pretty even landscape across yeah. the board. Uh and then, and then it gets redistributed, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I think we get so locked into whether or not there's an R or a D next yeah, it, to the political be, party. It'd be more of a true compass of, like, this is how our country feels. Exactly. Rather than, well, I have to choose one of them. There's only two. Yeah. I'll just pick the better of the two. Yep. Whether I agree or not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's good. I would. So, I think that'd be a way better option as well. Yeah. I don't know. Voting, it's nice that we get to do it, but it kind of sucks <laughs> at the same time. At the same time. I know every year when I get my mail-in ballot, when I get it in the mail, it's always like, I have to do that. It's sitting on my counter. I know I need to do it. <laughs> it's like almost like it's a chore. Did like, you already do it? Uh, I, I haven't done it yet. Your mail-in ballot? I think I have to do it by... Yes, by yesterday. For real? Or two days ago, 31st. I think by Halloween. No. The You have to mail it. The, the voting's in like... Four days. Man, I'll probably have to go. You probably it. have to go. I'll have to go then. You can you can fill it out almost as like a sample ballot, I think, and you and can take br- it with me. bring it in. Yeah, me and Mercedes both got them in. I didn't know it was thirty first of October. I, I'm pretty sure you have to send it in. Like, I don't know. My dad just got here today, and he asked if his came in, so his is waiting too. Hmm. I'm hoping my goal was to have it done by the end of today. Today. Yeah, I'd check. I'd double check. Dang, that would suck. Now I have to go stand down there. Yeah. Like At least you'd, you'd get a sticker. Yeah, and then maybe I could go somewhere and get free pancakes or something. <laughs> uh, All right. So anyway, even though it's hard, go vote this week. Yes. All right, main topic. And uh, do you want to intro this main topic? Yeah. Yeah. So for this one, uh, I was kind of thinking through what I think would be a good topic to talk about that that probably uh, everybody can somewhat relate to, maybe, mm-hmm. unless you just don't do this thing at all, which I guess that could be you. But um, yeah, I think as I thought through it over the past like five years, I like to read a lot. I know you like to read a lot. Yep. And I started thinking through like, what are some, what are some books that over the past, like I was thinking five years, really whatever the past, you know, several years, what are some books that we would say influenced? Um, I don't know, not how you live, but just something that's left like an, um, uh, like an imprint on you from reading it, like something that's mm. kind of stuck with you over the past five years. And um, it doesn't have to be, I don't think it, I don't think it has to be something like sentimental or super personal, but just like, as you think through the books that you've read, uh, what are some of those books that have kind of left a mark on you as a person, I guess? Yeah. And maybe shaped the way you think or, yeah, I don't know. I just think, I think for both of us, books, I think are a large part of kind of what we do with some of our time. From what I've noticed, anyway. Yeah. Maybe I'm the only one speaking for that. But um, So I don't know. If you're listening and you don't care about books, <laughs> sorry, but they're good. So maybe let's start here. Um, we're going to do a top three. Yep. But let's throw out some um, provisionals that don't make the top three. Um, maybe one or two. Uh, for each of us, so yeah. I'll, I'll start with one of my one of my finalists that didn't make the cut, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the Harry Potter series. 
Okay. So I read it. I've read it every other summer mm-hmm. for the last three summers. I never read. I read like the first book as a child. Yeah. But um, was it six summers ago? Mm-hmm. I I read it in its entirety mm-hmm. for the first time and enjoyed it greatly. Uh, found myself highlighting a lot of passages, especially where Dumbledore is talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dumbledore has some great oh, words yeah. of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, that's a book series that I feel like every couple of years I benefit greatly, uh, just from a quality of life standpoint mm-hmm. from, from being able to revisit them and, and kind of be re-immersed into this fun and fantastical world. You get through all of them, all seven in one year? In like a summer. Yeah. Gosh, dang. Um, man, they, I mean, they're easy reads. Like they're, once exactly. you get going, they, you can kind of get through them, I guess. Like, yeah. If in, and usually I'll find myself, I'll start reading and I'll read like three or four chapters in a night because yeah, they, are that they way, just yeah. like, you just want to keep reading it. It's yeah. so fun. That's a lot different than my number one. Yes. Yes. It's a book, very, which we'll get to, it, but it's very good too, but it's a, it's a very different feeling reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any, yeah, I think so the one that is, would be, I would say my fourth uh, book that, like a preliminary one, uh, is the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. I've always wanted to read those. I've heard that they're really yeah, good. They're they're. Um, I was introduced to them like three years ago when I was living in Kentucky. Well, I guess like four years ago, mm-hmm. and I never heard of them because I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think very many people have heard of those books by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I think it's a lot not of... like in his top like Mere Christianity and Screwtape mm-hmm. Letters, like all these books you familiarize. Narnia. Narnia with C.S. Lewis, um, mm-hmm. but someone had told me about them. There's three of them. I forget the name of all three. One of them's Paralandria. One of them's the outer, the outer known. And what man? There's another. There's a third one. Um, but yeah, they're really fascinating reads. And and I I don't even know if I know like what the underlying theme of them is. Mm. I've read them twice through. I have all three of them, and they're just really interesting. Yeah, I almost think they're gospel oriented. But I don't know. I don't know if I can come to that conclusion. But you should check them out. They're good. Mm. The premise, just the first one. I'll just tell you real quick what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is uh, running away from something in on in Europe, like in London, and he comes across this house that like this doctor lives in, or like this scientist. And while he's there, these two other dudes basically like beat up this scientist and like he has a rocket in his house or something. Huh. They beat up the scientist and then they they cram him into this rocket and they're leaving. Like the rocket's gonna take off and I go somewhere. And this guy ends up in this house. He's like running from something. He like finds the gravel driveway, walks up the driveway, gets to the home, like sneaks in the home, is like watching all this take place and the two people that beat up the scientist like see him. So they pack him on the rocket ship and basically he like falls asleep. And then after the rocket takes off, he's in it, ends up on this planet called Paralandria. And the planet is like bare with nothing on it. But there's like these creatures that live on the planet that these other two people like think they're evil. So they're trying to to kill them, like whatever. Um, And this guy that just happens to show up at this house, like is on this planet and he meets one of these creatures and finds out they're not evil. And then he's like trying to fight with them against these two other people. Super strange. Huh. But it's a trilogy. So Paralandria is the last of them. Interesting. Uh, Definitely worth uh, looking into though. They're, that was probably an awful synopsis, but <laughs> <laughs> I promise they're very interesting and they're short. They're not like super long. So uh, yeah, that's, that's one for me. A uh, 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 one that didn't make the, didn't make the cut. 
the other one I was going to bring up for me that didn't make the top three, um, but that I feel like left a lasting thought-provoking impression on me um, was A Year of Living Like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I can't remember the author. He's he's done several books. Um, not the author of this book, but there, there's an author that's done like a year of healthy living, a year of living biblically. Um, he's a journalist for like a major paper, but he does these books that focus on like making a major change for a year. And it's written in almost like a personal journal mm-hmm. style um, where it's like day one, this is what I'm experiencing. Day two, this is what I'm experiencing. And it does that for a full year. Yeah. Um, so this book was written almost in response to, so the person, Year of Living Biblically, uh-huh. um, interpreted that to include all Old Testament law, um, you know, grow, growing out his hair and, and phylacteries and everything. Um, Year of Living Like Jesus, uh, I think it's a pastor that did it, but tried to just emulate uh, everything that he saw Jesus do mm. and tried to re- react in situations to everything they saw Jesus do and um, or in ways that he would think that Jesus yeah, would. Yeah. Uh, and what I thought was really interesting too is he um, like had some sort of crazy Bible reading plan. I can't remember the, the specifics. It's been a while since I've revisited this book, but he wanted to one be able to think as much like Jesus as possible. Mm-hmm. So I think he read uh, like all four Gospels like twice a week or something like that. Dang. And then like super familiar. And then on top of that, he read all of the Old Testament. Um, like multiple times throughout the year to try to get the same like knowledge base. Yeah. So it was like a really in-depth reading situation. He also grew out his hair and his beard. Um, The Nazarite, bro. Yeah. Just (laughs) trying to look the part, I guess, maybe, who knows. Yeah. Um, But what I really found enjoyable from that book um, was a lot of things, especially politically, mm-hmm. trying to live how he thinks Jesus would live, challenged him in a lot of um, in a lot of political issues that he had different views on beforehand. Um, because he, over the course of the year, began to felt feel like what he had accepted as Christianity. Um, didn't always look like Jesus, basically. Mm-hmm. And and that a lot of times in the United States, our politics, a lot of people view certain political ideals as Christianity. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the intertwining, uh, Some one of my favorite authors and speakers that isn't on this list, uh, a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Oh, yeah. He calls it the politicization of Christianity. Yeah. Um, just the, the seeping in of political thought into what is Christianity mm-hmm. and people identifying things that aren't Christianity as Christi- Christianity uh, just because it's convenient for them politically to, to say that the two are the same. And and so I just thought it was interesting to see the deconstruction over time of uh, what this guy thought was how Jesus would would have mm-hmm. reacted. And then mm-hmm. when he's actually trying to live it out, realizing I need to react completely differently because I don't think that Jesus would react like this. I don't think mm-hmm. Jesus would hold these beliefs. I don't think Jesus, and it even, even goes into like certain, certain hot button topics that voting topics, again, back to the voting. I don't know why this is a political <laughs> episode. Um, 
that were challenging for me to think through. And in, in your, my first reaction is, was like recoil, like, Oh no, I don't know if I, and then it's like, okay, well, okay. Maybe, you know, maybe there is some, something to that. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. There was just, uh, I like, I like when a book is challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it, when the approach as the approach of this author was, uh, is just so genuine Mm -hmm. and the experience that he experienced was not like a predetermined, I'm setting out to try to prove that this is how Jesus is, but really letting in, in already a, a, you know, a pastor, a Christian guy, but really letting an honest examination, a real deep dive completely change his view Mm -hmm. over time of what he already thought was Jesus into probably something that's a lot more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find that very challenging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but I thought it was a very interesting book. And I think um, even though I haven't revisited it often, uh, and that's why it's not on this list, um, but I think it's that some it is something that uh, left a lasting impression yeah, on yeah. the way that I think through things. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, it sounds like that could have been on your top top three. <laughs> <laughs> I I did a last minute swap. It was on the top three just because of the lasting impression and yeah. the, the way that I think about it in hindsight. Um, but I made a last minute swap for one that I've revisited more often, and mm-hmm. I probably have more thoughts on. Yeah. So we I don't. Have have any more preliminaries all right well let's let's just jump right in then what's yeah. your number three my number three is it's called seal of god by chad williams seal of god seal of god s-e-a-l so like a, like a, a swimming seal, seal? yeah <laughs> yeah i guess it's about the same <laughs> um this book is a i don't know an autobiography mm-hmm. that's where you write your own right yeah yeah sorry fused it's an autobiography <laughs> Chad Williams wrote the book. He is um, a Navy SEAL, and he it's basically just telling like how he became a Navy SEAL, and really, it's his conversion story into becoming a mm. um, I've read it every year for the past four years. Mm. It's always on the book list for, like every year in December, I make I make a book list for that upcoming year, and like what I'm going to read each month, and it's always on there, like somewhere in the year. So um, you, you reread it every year? Every year. Awesome. And... I don't, I don't know why I like it so much. Um, basically, this guy, Chad Williams, he grew up in California. He's a surfer, skater-like kid, which maybe that's why I like it, because he's mm-hmm. similar. And when he got into high school, he was a partier, smoked and drank, did a bunch of things. Went to college for like half a semester, failed and flunked out. Lived at his parents, was just hammered all the time. Like Basically, his life was pretty he was just headed in like an awful direction and mm. um he had always wanted to be like in the army or something and he told his dad like in high school like, man i think i'm just gonna join the army so i don't have to do school and all these things and his dad basically uh didn't said if you're gonna join something like go be a navy seal like do something that's gonna be you know not that the army or any of those things aren't but he said like go be one of the ones that's like the hardest to get in which navy yep. seals is, is really difficult and so uh he says yeah i'm gonna try it so his dad sets up for him chad williams like like a training session with a Navy SEAL named Scott Helvinston. Um, and he goes to his first training session with this guy named Scott and they run like 20 some miles, do like some hundred push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups. Basically like I would die. His dad told Scott Helvinston, the trainer, like, I, I don't want my son to join the Navy SEALs. So you just like get it, beat it out of him like as, <laughs> as much as you can. But it actually made Chad Williams like, man, this, I want to do that. Like I want to continue to try and do this. Yeah. So Scott like demanded all these things from Chad like to clean up his life and if he wants to be a SEAL he's gonna have to do these certain things and be disciplined and all this stuff. Um, 
And the day before Chad Williams was supposed to like depart to go to Bud's training uh, for the SEALs, the, the Bud's training that they do, Scott Helvinson was deployed over to Afghanistan mm. on like a secret mission or something and died. He got, got killed. It was like one of those, it was like SEAL Team 6 or something, one of those very first like mm. SEAL teams. And Scott was a, a super, uh, just a devout Christian guy. And mm-hmm. Chad was not. And, um, so from that point, it talks through his, like going through buds, like in detail, he like, he like writes everything out, like how he, the training and all those things, his first appointment talks about his girlfriend when he got, came home and went to church and decided, like talks about his call to, to be a Christian. Like he didn't understand why he just like stood up and walked to the front. Like, so it's really, I don't know why it's left such a lasting impression, but I think I just, the story is such, such a good story of his life and how it turned around that every time I read it, I'm like, drawn in i read it in like two or three days it's super fast but it's a bigger i mean it's still a good sized book but right. i don't know i think it's just one of those books that i admire like him as a per- like i admire him as a person and i don't even know him like i don't know anything else outside of him besides reading the book and mm-hmm. i just think it's a awesome story so i think that's something that every year i don't know why but it ends up on my book reading list and yeah i don't know you probably never heard of it, but no, I haven't. Yeah. My friend Dave Reiser showed it to me when I again when I was in Kentucky, and same guy showed me the Space Trilogy. Nice by C.S. Lewis. So <laughs> uh, we still talk every other week too, and uh, talk about books. But he showed me both those and Seal of God. He actually gave it to me, so I, it's his copy, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing like crazy that comes out of it. It's just a really, really good book. Hmm. So very cool. Yeah. Well, my um, number three. Um, is the other book that was originally my provisional (laughs) that I last minute hot swapped. And uh, that one is Blue Like Jazz Mm -hmm. by Donald Miller. And uh, really, this one is essentially doing a very similar thing as the the other book um not the living like jesus for a year thing but yeah. but like um for me like in my own mind it is serving a very similar function um so it, it's it's uh autobiographical story of donald miller mm-hmm. um Growing up and going to college, it's it's specifically that the story of the years of him going to college. Um, oh, so just those years. Yeah, okay. uh, of him going to college, him basically losing faith um, in God and choosing to go to Reed College out of rebellion. Where is that at again? <clears throat> it's uh, it's in Portland. Okay, um, super secular school. Yeah, like um, I mean, I guess a lot. Of, I mean, I guess every school would be secular, but like I think I think they still do things like this. But I know, um, like that. So Steve Jobs went went there okay. in for like a semester, and then like audited some classes after that um, before dropping out. And uh, like, there's many stories of like faculty bringing in um psychedelic mushrooms for the students and like the campus security keeping people off of the campus while everybody trips on shrooms and like that being a, like, like like that's for real yeah yeah like 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 in the 70s or now i imagine yeah. it's less so now than it used to be but that's that's the type of stuff that reed college is known for is so uh, they're just kind of out there yeah is is just very experimental very free hmm. <laughs> um yeah and so 
so Donald Miller went there, yeah. um, and it's 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 also an academically pretty renowned college too. Like okay. they're they're not a party school, but the people that go there are very intelligent, but also uh, interested in things like psychedelics and smoking pot, and you know, like and now we got Apple. Yeah, and that's how <laughs> exactly, and that's how you get Apple computers. That's why Apple is different from Microsoft. Bill Gates went to uh, Harvard, and Man, that's, Steve Jobs that went to Reed. I never I never knew that. About about Reed University, I didn't know it was yeah. like that. Both dropped out, but but I, those are that's the difference in in the types of college that they would go to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. In the so in this, it basically is a memoir of him struggling to find his own identity in what he believes mm-hmm. and being okay with disagreeing with other people and figuring out how to live alongside people that he disagrees with, and at the same time, how to. Um, talk and love and befriend people that hold wildly different views from him. Um, at least that's my kind of walking away point uh, in this memoir is is that's kind of where it feels like it ends for me. It turned it into a movie and the movie was actually pretty decent. Called Blue Light Jazz? Yeah, it, it was like an indie movie. Okay, um, like an independent film? Yeah, yeah, but I thought it was I thought it was pretty faithful to the book and also pretty, pretty decent. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I en- I enjoyed it. And uh, have you read it more than once? So I used to have it on audiobook. Um, I've probably read the paper version of it like three times, three okay. or four times. And then I've probably I probably listened to the audiobook <clears throat> in high school and into college like five or six times. Okay. So so you know it really well. Yeah, it's been it's probably been eight or nine years since I've re- since since I've read it. Okay, so all of that is Man, like right like, right into my first couple of years of college. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, and then I haven't younger. read it since. Okay, so that sounds good. All right, that's that's my number three. Sweet. What's your number two? Number two. Um, <clears throat> so this one I've read I've read it uh, twice in the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's the Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Mm. Have you read that? Yeah, uh, I read it. Um, a little bit before me and Katie got married. Yeah. yeah. So it was a book um, recommended to me and Mercedes in our first uh, counseling session, like our pre-marriage counseling mm-hmm. uh, by the guy who was going to marry us. He recommended it. So we both bought it and read it. And that was the first book me and Mercedes like read together, I guess. Uh, so on the, on the fir- first note, uh, I think it, it holds a special place just because it kind of like helped lay a foundation. And I'm, I'm not going to say it laid all the foundation for what our marriage is like, but I think it just helped us get on the same page of like, this is what we want for our marriage. Like mm. this is, this is how we want to view, you know, whatever. Um, and I actually highlighted, um, the chapter that I think I understood. I mean, I knew this, but I think of the chapter that kind of stuck out the most. Um, oh, sorry. The book's all about marriage, essentially the meaning of it. In, in case you could have <laughs> guessed. <laughs> uh, just want to throw that out there. Uh, but the chapter, uh, chapter four, um, was a chapter that I still like to go back and read. And it's the mission of marriage is that chapter. Mm. So in this, in this book, the meaning of marriage, every chapter is like something different in marriage. So it's like the power of marriage, mm-hmm. the meaning of marriage, the mission of marriage, the stranger in marriage. So there's like all these different things that you're going to encounter through marriage. Um, but chapter four, the mission of marriage. Um, and I think this is why I like the book so much is it, it really put into perspective for me, like what our goal 
as a couple really is. Mm. Although it is like we're married and we're becoming one and we're, we're, we're called to pour into each other and love each other and sacrifice for each other and submit to one another, like all these things. But that chapter really emphasizes on as spouses, uh, we're called to help the other person in the marriage be more and more and more like God mm. and who God created them to be in every aspect of our marriage. So I think that just like helped me kind of, I don't know, it gives you vision yeah. for each of your roles of yeah. just like, hey, no matter how, if I'm upset or whatever, yeah. like my goal is to help Mercedes. My goal is to help Justin. Yeah. Yeah. In to the, be to be able to pursue and be more like Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And I think that like I always think about, um, gosh, it's like Colossians 3 when it talks about the church as a whole, like being unified and helping each other and leading each other as we all, it's about worship, but it's like mm-hmm. about being a community that worships together as we all train and teach one another in adoration to become more and more like Jesus. So I think that's like something that's really similar. Like when it comes to your marriage, like for me and Mercedes, my, my, our goal to our goal independently is pursuing Jesus first and foremost, like for both of us, like we want to become better disciples of Jesus every single day. Mm-hmm. And as a couple, we're working towards the same goal together. So we're, we're called to support each other and help each other more and more. So whether that's calling out being accountable for one another, like calling out flaws, like Mercedes does for me all the time when I say cuss words in the kitchen when the kids are around. Like, <laughs> you know, like just, just like I think those little things just help remind us of why. Obviously, we're married for other reasons too, but I think that's the, for me, that's the number one reason is yeah. how can I help Mercedes grow in her faith with Jesus and develop in her walk with Jesus, no matter what really the cost is too. Like how, what I have to sacrifice or what I have to do to make that possible and supporting her and encouraging her and helping her get better in areas like I might not always agree or not want to do it, but that doesn't matter because my job as her husband is not only to love her unconditionally and, and pour into her, but it's to help her be a, a better disciple of Jesus. And I think- and by Vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that the reason why that book's my number two is because I think since we've been married and obviously we're not perfect, but I, I, I do think that that's something me and Mercedes talk about quite a bit is like, how can we continue to help each other grow in our, in our faith with Jesus? And I think it's been really impactful for us. And like, that's a book that I'll, I'll revisit. I didn't read it this year, but it's probably going to be next year. Like I'm going to read, I'll read it again because I think it's always a good reminder. Mm. I mean, you can't just read, you can't just think about that stuff one time and then, well, our marriage is going to be set. Like we'll always do those things. Like, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's uh, my number, my number two book. And I don't know if you have similar thoughts on that book, but I mean, I know you just read it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it was a good starting point for, um, we, we read it before we started, um, premarital counseling. I think it was a good starting point, mm-hmm. um, for us. We actually met, read it before we got engaged and then we got engaged and then we went to premarital counseling. So I think it was a good start. Did you, did you pick that book? You knew you were going to get married at this point. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. You went just, Hey, let's read this book together. <laughs> well, I, or did, okay. or did you like, I don't know. So I did really early on. And then I like, she like read like four chapters right away. And I like kind of like squirmed out of it. (laughs) And to this day, she will make fun of me. She'll hear this and then she'll make fun of me um, for failing to read any part of the book for like a year and a half. And then finally I was like, hey, we should read the book again. And she's like, no, because you're not going to read it. I'm like, no, let's read the book again. So then we read the book. And How long did you guys date before you were married? Um, I mean, I guess maybe not a year and a half, maybe like a year. Uh, we, we, I was say, it didn't seem... we we got married like like 25 months after we met. Yeah, almost so, two years. Yeah, a little yeah. over two years. Yeah. 
slightly over two years. So I think it was actually pretty close to like the two years of our like actual first date. Okay. So, um, yeah, yeah. Cool. So I think, I think that that was a, a useful tool, um, that in premarital counseling, we had an awesome pre-marriage counseling yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun. We, we enjoyed it a lot. And then getting breakfast every time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we go pre-marital, pre-marital counseling and then straight to first watch. Yeah. So cool. What's your uh, number two? So book? my number two um, I'm putting down is the War of Art. I've never heard of this book ever. So it's so a pl- when you brought it up, I was like, oh, this will be because I've never even I've never even heard of it. The so. author is Stephen Pressfield. Uh-huh. Um, it's a real quick read. He has another one called Turning Pro, also really good. I could have put either one. They're pretty pretty darn similar to each other. Um, but obviously, War and Art play play on words of the art of war. Um, the Sun Tzu book on how to fight (laughs) um but the war of art uh is all about um the creative process and the of art of art yeah so he yeah so he's a screenwriter okay he wrote the movie like i think his biggest movie is like the legend of bagger vance okay and so he's a screenwriter and obviously writes books and just uh i think it's it's such a quick read and it's such a spot on. I mean, it like the entire book calls out basically if you have dreams at all that you feel like, man, I really want to do this, but, but like, I, I'm just too busy. Like I can't do this, but this is really my dream is really what I want to do. Like it calls out every problem with that. And like basically tells you like what you have to do. And the, the same, I turning pro is a very, it's almost two and one. I, I think I have a hard time differentiating in my mind, the difference between the two. Okay. Um, because they're so similar, <clears throat> both stylistically and content wise. Um, but like the overarching idea of turning pro is just changing your mindset from, oh, I, I want to do this to like, I'm a professional. This is what I do. So yeah. I am a novelist. Okay. And even if you haven't written a book, like approaching everything as I'm a novelist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like a mindset. Like, like a mindset. But one of the things that I enjoyed the most about it um, is him just talking about like, uh, putting yourself in the right mind mindset for work, especially creative work. Um, he, he isn't, he doesn't believe in anything. Like he's not uh, a Christian. Uh, I think he's just kind of agnostic, but he like, before he sits down and writes, like he, in order to get himself in a mindset of being creative, like he prays and just releases, like he acknowledges that, that to some extent with creative works, like your effort is only so much of the process that there, there's like a, a divine spark in creative work that is like necessary. Um, and so that's always been something that stuck with me of like, um, like, man, do I, do I pray before I do like creative things? Like I I don't do that nearly enough. Like, or yeah, or just um, allow. Yeah. To, to try to, to transcend and and work in, in things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've gotten a lot of that. Um, a lot of, a lot to chew on over the years from just that one little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like getting, getting yourself in the right mindset, showing up every day, Mm -hmm. putting work in, uh, over time, um, and just putting in the requisite hours, like controlling what you can control. Um, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a really interesting book and it's such a short read that like 
that one or Turning Pro. Um, I think Turning Pro has a little bit more autobiographical things mm-hmm. into it, um, but both of them are so short and yeah. so fast to read that it's worth going back and re-looking at it. Yeah, it almost, it almost remi- I mean, it reminds me of what we were talking about earlier about in our Seinfeld talk mm-hmm. of that friend that maybe wants to do something or like, you know, wants to be the George Costanza. Yeah. It's like, that's great. But what are you doing to turn pro or what are you doing to show up every day and trust the process and to do the things that are going to enable you to do that? Like, do you have the mindset that's going to allow you to grow into that professional, whatever, whatever field you find yourself in? Yeah. So I, I I do think that is a book that, that, if you're looking to light a fire, um, that one turning pro, um, and there was another, there's another one that I feel like is very similar. Um, Cal Newport. Ah, I can't remember Same the guy. No, it's a different guy. Cal Newport. I can't remember the, the name of the book, but uh, it's on my audible. Hold on. Who's the author of War of Art? Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield. Write that down. I'm going to add it in my yeah. 2000. I started making my 2000. <gasps> matter. Just opened my. Okay. It's so good. So it's so good. They can't ignore you by Cal Newport. That's the other book. Intriguing title. Yeah, it's it's a good book. And it's all about like it's written specifically for people who are new in their profession, new okay. in their career. Um and it's it's like, hey, like go basically the the synopsis of the book is go into work. It doesn't matter what you have to do, what the tasks are, but freaking kill it, do an amazing job and be like Put in all of the effort because you are not at a position in your career to call the shots, to complain about the yeah, hours yeah. that you're working, to complain about the roles that you're getting on the team. But if you can be so good that people can't ignore how good you are, then all of a sudden all of the doors to what you want will open up. Man, that's so foreign to, to like, it seems like just so foreign and I'm young still, mm-hmm. but just people coming through the workplace now. Yeah. Like entitlement almost. It's like, well, I'm just out of college. Like, I yeah. should get like a great job, and I should be management. Like, I don't. You f- I feel like that's a normal thing that I see. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it, it's common enough that somebody can write, write a, book a book on it. it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's the same idea as in in the War of Art and in in uh, the Turning Pro that you know we want all of these things to be certain ways. Um, but sometimes it takes somebody telling us that. You don't get that just because you're here. You gotta work for it. You yeah. have to. You have to put in the time, and, yeah. and that's kind of the idea of of the war of art. You have to go through this war if you want to create something that matters, that people care about. You have to put in the time. You have to keep doing it over and over and over again when nobody cares, and then eventually you you might have done something that is noteworthy. Yeah. You yeah. know. I just added those while we're talking to my 2019 book list. Yeah. When I was looking up um, the Cal Newport book, I saw um, who I would probably put two of my favorite, oh my gosh, three of my favorite, (laughs) three of my favorite authors, almost every single one of their books. And I completely forgot about them in this discussion. So maybe we'll have a a second, (laughs) second one uh, some other time, a a new three books that we want to revisit. Yeah. These books remind me of a guy named Simon Sinek. Yes. Like his, his talks I've listened to and the books he's written are really similar in the, 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 the content, it seems like, of these books. Mm-hmm. Like how to just how to work hard, how to be yep. successful and, and do your job well. And it feel you feel almost dumb having to have that spelled out for you, but when it's spelt out, you're like, oh man, yeah, like that's it's so good. Yeah. 
That's how I feel every time Simon Sinek talks. Yeah. I mean, you've listened to him. Oh, yeah. Start with why. Yeah, at the summit leadership. Yeah. Leadership Le- summit this year, he was. Leaders eat last. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, and yeah, he's he's agnostic too, I think. He doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't believe anything specifically. But yeah, every time I hear him speak, that's how you feel. Like, it's, man, this this stuff is so simple. Yeah. But it's like. But why didn't some, I think of that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so. Yeah, that's good. Good. Awesome. So what is your number My one? My number one. So mine is actually three in one, but it has to be allowed because we'll give you guys, a, you people listening, a second to to take a guess. Yeah. with yourself. What do you think it is? There's three of them. There's three of them, and this I'm is considering Doyle. It one story. <laughs> It's me, Doyle. Yeah, it's me, Justin Doyle. You should you should know by now. But uh, my number one book is uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yes, and uh, it's probably a given for some of you who who maybe know know me personally or remember the first episode of this yes. podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> so these books uh, I reread probably on like a just like I finish one, I go to the next, mm-hmm. go to the next, and just like keep repeating over you just slide it in whatever i'm reading yeah like and i don't read them i don't read them very quickly uh like i i'll read a chapter or two like within a week and then next month i'll read chapter three and four like i'm not i'm not eager to read them super quick but i think it's just a constant in my life yeah um i think the story is incredible Mm-hmm. In itself, if you know anything about J.R.R. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, if, you, if you know anything about him and the, 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 the time that went into creating Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I guess, first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, is pretty incredible if you've heard anything about those stories. Because he was a linguist, so he created the languages before he ever wrote the stories. Uh, which I think is just pretty, pretty incredible. Um, the Elvish tongue, whatever it's called. And um, so, yeah, I think like the storyline of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and the detail and the time that went into creating such a vast world, like it's it's almost uh, unfathomable on, on how big how big it is and how deep it goes. The Cimmerillion that you can read is basically like an encyclopedia slash a Bible that explains everything about Lord of the Rings, where everything came from, the world, Middle Earth, all the different types of people. Um, so yeah, I think the story in itself is like just a reason that I love it so, so much already. Uh, yeah. Because every time I read it, it's like it's always something new. Uh, there's different details that come up, something you feel like you hadn't read before. Um, I think this might sound kind of weird, but I think reading them, and this sounds so cheesy to say it, uh, but like it keeps my, I think it keeps my brain and my like imagination alive a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what I mean, like I totally, feel I'm you. super into like, I already like history as it is. Like I love history stuff and like anything that's, is that nuance of like old times, mm-hmm. like living in old times where there's no electricity or whatever it is, like anything like that, I find, I just find so fascinating. It just scratches the right itch. Yeah. Like, um, like in, in Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the very the very first one, um, when they go to the town of Bree, mm. when they're first running from uh, when they're first running with the ring to you know take it take it uh, to Rivendell, I think like when they get to that town, it describes in the book really really well. But when you watch the movie, just the town itself, like the the atmosphere and the way it feels, like it just like yeah, it like itches something that you're like, man, that is just so cool. Like mm-hmm. I wonder what it's like to live in a town like that with cobblestone streets and. Mm-hmm. 
a, a bar on the street that everybody goes to every single night. Like, I don't know, just like all these little things. Yep. So I think, it, I think in my mind, it, it just like, it like releases something that just like, I really like love it. Like, I don't know, yeah. what it, I don't know how to explain it. And maybe, maybe that is the best, like just my imagination. It just allows it to keep going and going. Um, and I think too, like what you said about, uh, Dumbledore and Harry Potter, like the wisdom and just like who he is as, mm-hmm. as a character. I think Gandalf is very similar very similar yeah like a lot of his 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 quotes and his who he is as a character is um just kind of imprinted on my mind too um i have it as a ringtone on my phone like if it's on tv i watch it every time like i never skip i can't i can't like flip through and see it and then not watch it and then not watch like i have to watch it and mercedes <laughs> is like oh that's just so lame <laughs> but yeah kitty's not a fan yeah either. and i yeah they're just the music, the the soundtrack for those the mm. movies, anyways. The soundtrack so good, but the books, the book we're talking about the books. <laughs> um, man, it's just all encompassing. Uh, I think the greatest trilogy ever written. That's just my my own personal yeah. thought. But um, yeah, I don't know. They're. I mean, I don't even know what else to really say. But they're just my favorite, like my all time favorite. Yeah, they're great. Uh, I've only read them, read all three of them. Once. That was like last year, right? That was last year. Yeah, it's it's great. I had read the uh, most of the first book before. I think like the first book of the first book yeah. before. Um, but it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, like I think, and again, I think this goes back to who Tolkien was like when he was writing. But I know for a lot of people, maybe this isn't like something you would enjoy. But it seems like if you look at the first book, Fellowship of the Ring, compared to the Two Towers or even Return of the King, where they're really action-packed and full of like fighting and orcs and all these different things. In the very first book, it's so... They're just like walking and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very calm and mellow and it's more history and detail and like backstory to why they're doing what they're doing. And um, a lot of mystery, I feel like. Too. Yeah, like you're you're still kind of like, man, what like, is what's that? What's going like, on? And I think that's what I I'm drawn to is that mystery and just knowing mm-hmm. everything there is to know. Like I love Harry Potter. Yeah. And maybe I haven't read enough to even know. I've read Harry Potter through one time only. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if Harry Potter has the same historical context and depth that Lord of the Rings has. Yeah. But again, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Harry Potter, but when I look at Lord of the Rings and think about the Cimmerillion and all those other things that play into these books, like Tolkien worked on that thing forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To create a language that he knows how to read, write, and speak. <laughs> That's just crazy. And then wrote that before even writing the books. Like, yeah. you know, the, the thought that goes into that and the, the imagination and the creativity, it just, it, it, bo- it boggles my mind a little bit that that, yeah. I don't think there's been a work. And again, I'm not going to say that because that's a broad <laughs> statement, but I haven't read a work that is that elaborate and creative. Yeah. I think the only thing that probably rivals that, I don't know. There's, so there's a lot in like the R.A. Salvatore world of fantasy novels um, and something like Game of Thrones. Had. I was just going to say that. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think I think I think they have at least one in or maybe a release. Maybe he's releasing a second um, like just book about the world. Like it's not it's not within the confines of the story. Yeah. And maybe that's this era is like Lord, Lord of, the of the Rings. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a much much more cynical book, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 
yeah, Lord of the Rings. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, those things are too big or, you know, I can't read through those or whatever. But it's worth I, the read. It is, it, especially if you can get through the first one. The first one is probably the hardest to read. The second and third are incredible. Um, so much information that's not in the movies, you know. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, they're, yeah it's just good. The whole ending oh, man. isn't even in the movies. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the last yeah, several true. chapters that's of true. the book. So, yeah, that's my... Uh, Caught my, me completely off guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you think the ending of the movie was long, yeah, wait to see what they cut out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! And I could just, I yeah, I could. Yeah, they're they're just so good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'll move yeah. on to my last book. And again, this isn't. I don't think my list is necessarily my favorite books, especially since I just remembered uh, about ten books exist that I forgot existed. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why there'll be a, an upcoming, maybe yeah. an update on some some of these. Um, and they're books that I think about all the time. Yeah, which I'm frustrated that I forgot about. It's it's because when we started recording, I was sitting in my office, and so I was limited to just what I was seeing on my shelf. I forgot everything that I have in my Audible and Kindle exists. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, but this is a book that I would say over the last like four years or five years, probably five years, um, that this is maybe the book that has penetrated my mind in the way that I think the most. And that is the young adult novel called Paper Towns. Yeah, never heard of this either, <laughs> ever. So so it's written by John Green. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, his most well-known book is... Um, the Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yeah. Um, Paper Towns was also turned into a movie. Uh, was not... As acclaimed? Not... It wasn't a great movie. I went and saw it, but it wasn't a great movie. It's not as good as the book. Paper Towns, just one book, or is there multiple? It's just one book. Um, his first book, uh, he also has a, a, another book called Looking for Alaska that's that's pretty good. Um, Fault in Our Stars was an okay book. Never read it, um, never saw it. I haven't read his most recent book. I own it. I actually um, pre-ordered it. I own um, a, a pre-order copy that, that was signed. Um, Dang, man. You're a real fan. <laughs> <laughs> called Turtles All the Way Down. I like I like that he deals with, uh, like, his first book's dealing with, like, um, untimely death and, and suicide. And Is that Fall in Our Stars? No, that, that one's Looking for Alaska. Okay. Um, and ha- and how to deal with all of that, um, and and it's a pseudo memoir. Um, this one I'll get into. Um, the Fall in Our Stars is is uh, based on John Green's uh, experiences as a chaplain. Um, and uh, so he's a Christian dude, or what? Yeah, yeah. He's like uh, uh, I think I think his his faith journey has ebbed and flowed a little bit uh but he went he went to divinity school i think okay. he's like a presbyterian guy um but but ended up deciding ultimately chaplaincy wasn't what he wanted to do he wanted to write books yeah and um but seeing seeing and knowing and watching children deal with terminal illness uh, is what inspired the Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, and it's about children with terminal illness. I heard that was a good movie. Uh, it is a good movie. Yeah, Shailene Woodley is a very, very good actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little crazy in real life, but very, <laughs> very good actress. And um, like if you've ever seen an interview with her, you're like, oh man, you're different than in the movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, which nothing on her, but she's just very granola, you know. See that? Yeah, and um, 
Then his most recent book, Turtles All the Way Down, is um, about mental mental health issues. And I just feel like he, he writes about much more important things than most young adult novel lists Okay, do. so he writes novels. Yeah. And there's always an under... I guess every novel has an underlying deeper theme. Yeah, but I think the starting point for the whole story, like what the story is built around, it might be hitting similar themes and notes as other young adult fiction, um, but it instead of instead of the the world in which it's created being something like twilight it's like the world in which it's created is like this is a story taking place um with children with terminal illnesses or this is a story taking place with uh about a protagonist that has um very severe ocd okay um and all and very plainly looking at um the issues that arise from that and yeah. and and the difficulties arise from that so um this book paper towns um is just kind of set in high school okay um but basically basically the protagonist's next door neighbor he's had a crush on his entire life and she kind of throws him a bone but not really she's a cool girl he's a nerd whatever yeah um again probably a little bit autobiographical for john green on the actual person it was set in orlando he grew up in orlando um, before going to boarding school in alabama which is where his first book is set (laughs) so draws a lot on his own experiences but um in a good way and basically so the the girl goes missing um and she she was obsessed with this place called aglo new york the whole book is uh called paper towns he does he did a ted talk years ago on what a paper town is paper town is a town that existed on maps that never existed in real life and aglo new york was was an example of that and it 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 was created probably as a copyright trap or i believe it for sure was created as a copyright trap trap so that anybody else making a map if aglo new york showed up on that map they'd know they copied their map because it's not Uh, a real place I i see but um but in in doing so, um, enough people started going to Aglo, New York, that eventually Ag- Aglo, New York existed. There was like a general store and like a couple of people living there. <laughs> like but it wasn't like, like a massive city. It was just right. But but it, it it eventually became something. Okay. So um, anyway. is Aglo, New York, real? Uh, it was, yeah. I don't think, I think it's now a ghost town. Um, but so like it went That's from being a paper town to a real town to a ghost town. Okay. But anyway, the, the, she goes missing and he's trying to find her. And really the, the thing that sticks in with the thing that sticks to me and why I think this is a great book for any teenager to read and to really think critically about and to internalize is the whole main idea of the book is that um we only see people as um like we have a really hard time as human beings thinking complexly about other human beings so like like i think i know you but really what i know about you is is like my perception of you but i like i can get closer but i can never fully get to who i am to to who you see yourself as yeah and that disconnect between how i I perceive you and how you perceive yourself um, is a gap 
that unless we recognize that that is there in our relationships, uh, we end up not communicating to people. Like, like we don't, like, yeah. unless I can understand that you are actually your own person as fully intellectualized as me, that you have dreams completely separate from me, that like, like you are completely your own person as much as I am my own person. Mm-hmm. And that my perception of you is incomplete, is inaccurate compared yeah. to who you actually are. Um, until that, until you realize that about, about people or think of people that way to try to think of people complexly that you will never really do justice to who that person is. Mm. You will never treat them well, like communicate well. Um, and that, that's really the heart of, of what this book is. You know, this girl that he grew up with, grew up next to lived next door to, like she wasn't actually who he wanted her to be, but it took, it takes the course of the book yeah, for him yeah. to realize that it's okay that she is her, like yeah. <laughs> that, that she does, isn't, she doesn't have to conform to his view of her, that, that her being her is okay. Okay. Yeah. It sounds similar to just how we interact with people. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So worth reading. For sure. Yeah, I think is a really good. He's a really good author. Okay. He is a really good writer. He's a really good thinker. If you don't, if you've never watched his YouTube videos, like his YouTube videos are great. Like the, the he thinks really complexly about the world. Yeah. Um, in a way that that I find challenges me in a good way to do the same to think yeah, yeah. to think complexly about issues and about people and to have a lot of grace for people because we because un- you understand that you don't fully know the way that they're thinking. It might seem crazy to you the way that somebody's reacting to something, but you don't have the full picture. You don't yeah. have the full information. Yeah, that's good. So definitely the way I was as a teenager, probably similar now. Oh yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. I think maybe as you grow older, maybe you start to, to understand that a little better. But I think everybody deals with that to some extent of like, totally. That's why we have not why we have, but that's why problems exist all over the world between people. I yeah. Mean, Cause you can't fathom why somebody else could possibly have a different opinion than you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's with, good. with that, think complexly about people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, that's good. So I think I added uh, three books to my list for this Ooh. year from yours. Awesome. That one. So good. They can't ignore you in the war of art. There we we'll go. See. We'll see. <laughs> I'm just going to reread Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Awesome. Uh, I think that does it for this episode. We yeah. do want to remind you about our review and rate. Thanks, Festivigus. Thanks, I say fest- it right? Thanks, I feel festivig- like I get it wrong every time I say it. F- Festivigus. Thanks, Festivigus. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, our initiative. We talked about at the beginning of the episode. Just want to remind you if you uh, want to have a possibility of winning our prize at the end of November, uh, we would love it if you could head up to iTunes and rate and review uh, this podcast uh, however you feel fit. Doesn't have to be a five, doesn't have to be a one, it can be whatever you want. And, uh, man, we'd love to just have your review and let us know what you think, how you're feeling about the show. We've already got a few reviews in, and we're just really thankful for those. And make sure to add a question, because that question will be featured at the end of the year in a special that we're going to do and answering all your questions, whatever the question might be. So Mm -hmm. make sure to rate, review it, add a question on there, tell your friends, subscribe. Man, it it does us a favor and helps us out. But also, like we say every episode, we want to continue to get better and make the show and this podcast better for you, the listener. 
listeners. So when you review it, when you write a question, that allows us to adjust and make it more fun for you to listen to. So we'd love it if you uh, would make sure to head on there and rate and review. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I think that does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Justin. And we'll be back soon.